Years ago, Jennifer and I took a couple of missionary friends up Trail Ridge Road in Rocky Mountain National Park. And we parked at one point and got out of the car and hiked up one of the trails that takes you up into the tundra were some amazing views of creation. And while we were up there, our missionary friend's kids left the trail and started wandering all over the tundra. And I said to the dad, you know, it's not only hiking etiquette, it's actually the law that you stay on the trail. Those tundra flowers take a hundred years to grow one inch tall or an inch and a half tall. And they're very hardy in that they live under the ice and snow for seven months a year, but they're very, very fragile as well. And once crushed by a human foot, they, they don't recover. And he looked at me as if to say, you've got to be kidding. Who cares? Actually, he didn't just look at me. He said words to that effect. I don't remember the exact words, but let the kids play. They're having fun. Who cares about a few flowers? Now, I should say that that man is a zealous evangelist, a great missionary, probably a better Christian than I am. But on this score, I think he's wrong, and I think he represents many Christians who have never given environmental issues a thought, or if they have, dismissed them as unimportant. Talk to them about conservation, or erosion, or pollution, or species loss, and they look at you dumbfounded. On the other hand, there are Christians, like the author who I read a while back, who decided to underline everything in the Bible that had anything to do with the Creator, or the creation, and end up underlining everything. And he says that environmental concern is the outstanding moral issue of our time. On the one hand, there are Christians who, if they have thought about ecological matters, dismiss them as part of the left's agenda. On the other hand, there are Christians who have accepted uncritically the assumptions and conclusions of environmentalists who leave God out of the picture. It seems to me that we need a biblical balance in this area. On the one hand, degradation of the environment that God has made seems to insult the Creator. On the other hand, not every change that human beings make is a degradation. <laughs> On the one hand, human beings are sometimes guilty of greed and irresponsibility and so deface what God has made. And on the other hand, through ingenuity and hard work, human beings are capable of improving the world. On the one hand, the Bible says, um, praises people who are kind to their animals. On the other hand, the Bible says it's okay to eat animals. On the one hand, the psalmist says that God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. On the other hand, the psalms say that he has placed all creatures under 
man's feet. On the one hand, he says in the Bible that he owns the wealth in every mind. And on the other hand, as far back as Deuteronomy and Job, there was an expectation that humans would engage in mining operations. On the one hand, the earth is the Lord's. On the other hand, the earth he has given to man. The earth is the Lord's. The earth he has given to man. I, I think that the Psalms help us achieve balanced thinking in this area if we keep in mind those two poles of thought. Look with me, would you, at Psalm 104. Although the phrase, the earth is the Lord's, comes from Psalm 24, it is fleshed out, that idea, in Psalm 104, where we read, Praise the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, you are very great. In other words, how great thou art. <laughs> For years when hiking in Colorado, I would sing how great thou art when I got to the top of a 14,000 foot mountain. Nowadays, if I get to the top of a 14,000 foot mountain, I don't have enough air to sing anything. But how great thou art. Praise the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty. He wraps himself in light as with a garment. He stretches out the heavens like a tent and lays the beams of his upper chambers on their waters. He makes clouds his chariot and rides on the wings of the wind. I'm not competent to assess the arguments over ozone layer depletion or global warming, but these issues do call for theological reflection as well as scientific investigation because the heavens are his. The clouds, the firmament, all belong to God. The earth is the Lord's. Verse 4, he makes winds his messengers, flames of fire his servants. I wonder what messages they're trying to send. Well, the next stanza, verses 5 and following, recall the flood and assert God's sovereignty over the waters that cover two-thirds of the planet. He sets the earth on its foundations. It can never be moved. You covered it with the deep as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains, but at your rebuke the waters fled. At the sound of your thunder they took to flight. They flowed over the mountains. They went down into the valleys to the place you assigned for them. You set a boundary they cannot cross. Never again will they cover the earth. And next he moves to fresh water. Verse 10, he makes springs pour water into the ravines. It flows between the mountains. You can see that when hiking in Colorado or other places. The water looks refreshing, inviting, but it's typically unsafe to drink. Most water in the back country is unsafe to drink without purifying it first because, in part, because of pesticides and fertilizer and other chemicals that uh, humans have uh, 
polluted the water with. Verse 11, the day, the springs, the rivers, give water to all the beasts of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. The birds of the air nest by the waters. They sing among the branches. He waters the mountains from his upper chambers. The earth is satisfied by the fruit of his work. He makes grass, verse 14, grow for the cattle. Now there's no time to talk today about grass-fed versus grain-fed, um, antibiotic-pumped meat uh, versus the ethics of free-range meat, but, uh, verse 14 again, he makes grass grow for the cattle and plants for man to cultivate, bringing forth food from the earth. No time to discuss today uh, genetic manipulation of plants that we eat, but maybe God has an opinion on these matters because the earth is the Lord's, it, it's his. And Christian scholars need to reflect biblically as well as scientifically on these issues. He makes plants grow for man to cultivate, bringing forth food from the earth, wine that gladdens the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread that sustains his heart. The trees of the Lord, verse 16, are well watered, the cedars of Lebanon that he planted. You know, maybe it's no insult to be called a tree hugger if our father planted them. There, verse 17, the birds make their nests. The stork has its home in the pine trees. Someday I got to learn more about birds. <laughs> Did you know that some storks grow to 20 pounds with a wingspan of 10 and a half feet? Their nests can be six feet across and 10 feet deep. With the condor, storks represent one end of the spectrum. Hummingbirds, the opposite. The smallest is two inches long, weighs less than a gram. Alone among the birds, hummingbirds can fly backwards, hover, fly upside down. Their wings beat 60 times per second. They can fly 61 miles an hour. Proportion to their size, that's faster than the peregrine falcon. And to support this activity, they have proportionally the largest heart of any invertebrate. A human being as active as a hummingbird would have to consume 155,000 calories a day. 25 species of hummingbirds are in danger of extinction. Now maybe that's worth reflecting on biblically. The poet says in verse 24, I had to fast forward past several verses here. Verse 24, how many are your works, O Lord? In wisdom you have made them all. In wisdom, God knew what he was doing. God had a reason for everything that he made. We may not know the reason yet, but as science advances, we figure out more and more uses for the things that God has made. And some things we might still wonder about. I read about a kid who was uh, scratching his poison ivy and said, why did God make poison ivy? And his mother said, to teach kids there's something they could keep, keep their cotton-picking hands off of. Uh, that's a theory. Verse 24 continues, the earth is full 
of your creatures. And there is the sea, verse 25, vast and spacious, teeming with creatures beyond number, living things both large and small. A while back, not that many years ago, researchers completed the first census of marine life. Took 10 years, 6,000 scientists studying, and they found 6,000 new species in the oceans. Highlights range from the beautiful to the bizarre. 600-year-old tube worms. Herring that swim in formations the size of Manhattan. A crab with claws like fur mittens. Jellyfish with a Darth Vader helmet. God surveys all of this and says, Mine. The earth is the Lord's. But the earth he has given to man. I wonder if you notice the human activity in Psalm 104. Man working on God's earth, verse 23. Man sailing his ships on God's sea, verse 26. God makes the plants, verse 14, not just to pick, but to cultivate. Wine, oil, and bread, verse 15, are not just lying around for us to pick up. They are made by human ingenuity and effort. Some environmentalists want to rescue the earth from human beings, human ingenuity and effort. They think that um, we ought to leave the earth alone. Nature knows best. Technology is a four-letter word. There are too many people on the planet. Listen to just a few representative environmentalists. Here's one who says, we humans have become a disease, the human pox. Phasing out the human race will solve every problem on earth. Here's another. The collective needs of non-human species must take precedence over the needs and desires of humans. Think about that. Here's one. Prince Philip, who now, I trust, knows better. If I were reincarnated, I would wish to be returned to Earth as a killer virus to lower human population levels. David Brower of Friends of the Earth said, childbearing should be punishable, a punishable crime against society unless the parents hold a government license. All potential parents should be required to use contraceptive chemicals, the government issuing antidotes to citizens chosen for childbearing. Why? Because people are the problem. Well, Christians who care about the environment know that human beings are precious to God, the crown of his creation, and that we have a special place on the planet and special responsibility, the earth he has given to man. Look at Psalm 8. Although the phrase, the earth he has given to man, comes from Psalm 115, I find it nicely fleshed out in Psalm 8. 
O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. From the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise because of your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet, all flocks and herds and beasts of the field, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea, all that swim the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. David says here, in verse 6, what, what Genesis says, that God placed all things that he made under the feet of human beings. Which does not mean that they are to be trampled or crushed, but that they are to be managed, ruled. God intended men to tend the garden to tame the wilderness, to populate the earth, to rule the animal kingdom, the earth he has given to man. I saw a bumper sticker once. Equal rights for all species. Really? Equal rights for men and rats? People and mosquitoes? No. Jesus said that God cares about the birds, but you people, are much more valuable than the birds. I read a Sierra Club author who would gladly dynamite every dam and let every river flow freely. Really? I mean, some dams may be ill-conceived, but others provide recreation, irrigation, clean hydroelectric power, a habitat for plants and animals. Leave the river alone? Really? Maybe we should let the Mississippi go wherever it wants to go, as some environmentalists insist. But then maybe if we took one and a half million acres of the world's most fertile farmland and let it turn into wetlands the size of Delaware, food prices would go up and that would hurt the poor most. Nature knows best? Really? Come to the garden in our backyard and I'll show you nature. Weeds, Japanese beetles, squash bugs, which, against which my wife wages war so that we can eat. <laughs> Some green radicals think that the world is always worse when humans leave their mark. Really? An environmentalist in Britain has a different opinion. He notes that his island, the whole of Britain, was once oak forest and celebrates the biodiversity that has been brought about by cultivation, by human beings. A scientist studying the Amazon rainforest for decades attributes its amazing diversity in part to human cultivation. There are too many people. Really? 
In a sermon years ago, I mentioned that the entire population of the planet could fit in Texas. I wonder if people thought that was an exaggeration, but I did the math. I looked it all up, and uh, of course, um, the population density would be that of New York City, and, and that's not realistic, and nobody is seriously proposing that we all move to Texas. But the world is big. There's a lot of room left. We're running out of resources. Really? Well, listen to this warning. One thing is sure, the earth is more cultivated and developed now than ever before. There's more farming but fewer forests. Swamps are drying up and cities are springing up on an unprecedented scale. We have become a burden to our planet. Resources are becoming scarce and soon nature will not longer be able to satisfy our needs. Written by Quintus Septimus Turlanius in 200 BC. Economist Julian Simon had a more hopeful view. In his book, The Ultimate Resource, he demonstrates how resourceful humans can be. When, food, when a resource is scarce, we, we find another. Uh, we produce more than we consume, as God intended. Now, do we get it wrong? Of course we do. Through greed or short-sightedness, we sometimes spoil the environment. Sometimes it's uh, not that we're culpable, but we're just ignorant. We don't foresee consequences, as when seed is modified to provide for more abundant crops to feed the world's hungry, uh, or when um, zebra mussels hitchhike on the hulls of ships to the Great Lakes, uh, playing havoc with fisheries and uh, water treatment facilities, but these were unforeseen. Uh, but then God has made man capable of repentance and course correction and creative solutions. He made this earth resilient, resourceful, a good home for us. The earth he has given to man. Let me urge you to keep both these truths in mind and in balance. The earth is the Lord's. The earth he has given to man. And um, learn more, care more about environmental stewardship, but filter what you hear and read through a biblical grid because much of it leaves God out of the equation and devalues human beings, his image bearers. And some of you, especially young people looking for a, a career, a life's calling, might make creation care a, an area of special interest. Although others who are older and not making a career of it could make it a hobby. Uh, what a great study. Psalm 111 says, Great are the works of the Lord. They are pondered by all who delight in them. God's works are a delight to study. And if God puts it on your heart to be one of those who make this an area of special interest, what you learn you can teach the rest of us. With patience and charity, please don't become a nag who makes her friends feel guilty because they sometimes drink out of a paper cup. 
advocate with humility. Sometimes issues offer no easy answer. Should a swamp be drained? Should a hill be mined? Should a desert be irrigated? Should a river be dammed? Should a road be built into the wilderness? Well, for some, the answer will always be a simple no. No to any human encroachment. But for biblically balanced thinkers, these questions will be more complicated. Human needs, especially the needs of the world's poor who have not yet experienced development, have to be weighed. And then we who can't devote a lot of time to studying environmental issues should be open to listening to and learning from those who, who do. And um, ask in our own small way, what can we do to conserve, protect, maybe resist the more is better consumerism and honor our creator in the way we manage his creation? A church in Tennessee, um, members there were gathering one Sunday to discuss how to feed the poor in their area. They met over a meal, and as is customary, somebody said grace, and included in the, the prayer was a thanksgiving to God for um, the abundance in their lives and, and remembrance of those around the world who didn't have anything to eat at that moment. And then a thought occurred to somebody at the table. They were going to eat their fill and then throw away all the utensils, plates, cups, napkins, and tablecloths into the garbage. It occurred to them that somewhere along the line they had become too rich and too busy to put dirty dishes in the dishwasher. And somebody asked, well, how much does all this stuff cost? And it turned out that they could feed a family for a year on what they were spending on disposable kitchen items. It dawned on the men and women present that many of their labor-saving devices invented over the last half century were sold under the guise of, of liberation. Well, the men decided to volunteer as dishwashers for the first year, and that proposal was accepted quickly by the women, and they all began a journey of becoming better tenders of the garden. Well, studying creation care in the Psalms will not lead every group to the same conclusion. Studying creation care in the Psalms will not answer every question, determine every policy, or tell us what to do in every situation. But it should lead us to worship. Let's do that. This is my Father's world Hymn 143, whatever he leads his children to do with what he has entrusted to them, it never changes that it's his world. Let's stand as we sing 143.